You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. that song yes how many people remember that song tell the truth gosh that's a good number of us remember that song that was a classic hit it's from the year 1990 and that that song has a real resonance for me and I think it has a resonance for my wife also my wife Elmy you see yeah yeah see that song was out at the time when we were going out with each other and yeah yeah it was lovely it was like oh such a nice song it's like our song or something you know anyway (coughs) And it was our song, you see, we loved that song. But in the middle of the time when that song was at number one in the charts in the UK and Ireland, I think it did well in America as well, we had a fight. Oh, we had a fight. Elma was wrong. And we had a fight. No. We had this fight in the middle of the... And it was one of those fights that happens before you get married. You know one of those existential threats that you have? One of those ones where you realize we really are on the precipice here. This is, we either move on and make a life together or we go our separate ways and live without one another. How can I suppose to live without you? And we move on. Isn't that right? So we're ha- we had this argument. We disagreed about something. Like I said, Alma was wrong. I was right. And we're in the middle of this argument. No, actually, it was really literally the other way around. Anyway, so we had, this, we had this disagreement, and I stormed out of the house where Alma was staying, and I went home. And you know, it's great when you storm out of a house, and you jump into a car and drive off. But of course, I stormed out of the house and jumped onto a bike and went... It doesn't have the quite same feel to it. Like They'll never make a movie of it, like, you know? So I could strike the So I get home and then I'm fed up and you know we're annoyed and we don't speak to each other for two or three days. And every time I pass the radio, and every time I turn on the TV, Sinead O'Connor keeps on annoying me, saying nothing compares to you. <laughs> and so I sit down and I eat my dinner, and I'm only thinking about Elma. And I sit down and I go to work and I'm only thinking about Elma. And I'm lying in bed at night and I'm tossing and turning and staring at the ceiling. I can only think about Elma. But you know what the great thing was? At the same time, she was thinking about me. (laughs) So after three days, I humbled myself, ate the humble pie, rang her, said, we need to talk. We don't need to talk. So we sit down, we start talking. We said, both of us said, do you know that song, the Sinead O'Connor song, Nothing Compares to You? That has just been on my mind. It's been playing in my head all the time. I love you. I'm sorry. Let's never fight again. And we all lived happily ever after. Well, I lived happily ever after. Don't you know? Oh, oh my God. I'm like, you know. Sorry, my wife on the front row there. God bless you, darling. Thank you for allowing me the permission to tell the truth about how much of a loser I am. God bless you. This morning's message is called Nothing Compares to you. That's what this morning's message is called. As I was praying and I was thinking and I was reflecting and I was listening to God about, you know, what it is that I should say and what I should speak on. I had a few different directions I could go in, but I really felt the Lord leading me in this direction. The idea that nothing compares to you. Let me tell you something this morning, and I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not trying to butter you up or anything. Here is the plain truth. Nothing 
in all of this world compares to you when you are you doing what you do and that honors God nothing compares to it nothing you are according to the scriptures the highest point of creation human beings are the highest point of creation nothing in all of creation and nothing created by man is up to the quality and the standard of the human being that God has made every one of us here is unique in our identity every single one of us is completely unique in who we are and what we do and what we're like I'm going to be looking however this morning at a passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 45 We'll be taking a look at that in a few seconds. But before I do, I just want to look at this one verse from the Psalms. Two verses from the Psalms. It says this. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knitting me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You are the person in that verse. Every one of us, we were knit together in our mother's womb. God's work within us is amazing. It's marvelous. Anybody who's ever held a newborn baby must go, this is incredible. Even people who don't believe in God say, this is just a miracle. They call it the miracle of life. How does this happen? How can this fantastic human being come from a cluster of cells or from a chemical reaction? It is a miracle. Who you are and what you are is a miracle in itself and you were created unique you were created unique every one of you would you put up your finger would you point your finger to the sky for me for a second just point your finger to the sky for me for a second do you see the tip of that finger that tip of that finger is absolutely unique to you every single one of you have a unique fingerprint there are what over six billion people living on planet earth and no two people have the same fingerprint we are all completely individual we are all the workmanship of God's hands would anyone say amen I want to say good morning as well by the way to cafe church I hope you got the burko boiler sorted and I hope everybody got a nice warm beverage and something nice to eat this morning good to have you with us I want to look at however the problem if you will there is a problem and that is this I think, and it's my experience, it's my experience of me personally, and it's my experience of a lot of human beings. In actual fact, it's my experience of the vast majority of human beings, except for a very, very tiny coterie, that most people see in themselves something that they wish was different. Do you ever look in the mirror and wish that something about you was different? <laughs> oh, that was a resounding comeback at me. The people at the back of the room are in honest form this morning. Hallelujah. Do you ever look in the mirror and go, I wish my ears weren't as big as they are. Or wish that your nose was a little bit smaller than it is. Or that your hairline wasn't continually receding. It's like, come back, come back. Do you ever do, you ever do that? Or do you ever think, I wish I had more talent. I wish I, wish I was stronger or fitter. Or I wish I had, was, was able to sing better or, or lead better or, or, or play the guitar better or, or you know, I'm just uh, kick a ball better. I don't know. Have you ever wished that about yourself? I think every one of us at some point somewhere in our lives have done that. I think every one of us have wondered, what on earth, how on earth did I turn out the way that I am? Well, it's complicated how we turn out the way we are. We'll get into it in a second. But I want to look at Isaiah, uh, chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 45. And this is the Lord speaking 
to his people. Now what he basically had said before this for context is he said, I'm going to raise up a great Persian king and his name is Cyrus. And they said, what Cyrus? You can't raise up Cyrus. Like Cyrus is a waster. He's horrible. He doesn't even love you. He's, a, he's rebelled against you. How can you possibly use Cyrus? And the Lord says, I will use whoever I want to use. And then the Lord turns his attention to the people, to his own people, the people, the chosen people of the time. And by the way, we are now the chosen people. Would anyone say amen? Those whom God chose, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness and image of his son. Anyway, we are now the chosen. So he turns to them and he says, he said this. The Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, says this. He says, what sorrow awaits for those who argue with their creator? Why did you make me this way? Does the clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be that you would make me like this? Now when we're looking at it, we can get all poor-faced and kind of, yes, that's very serious. But it isn't really, because Isaiah is presenting a ridiculous situation. Imagine you watch the potter working at the wheel, and suddenly the pot says, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? I should have a handle, my handle should be bigger than that. No, 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 the spout is in the wrong place. It's a ridiculous, preposterous idea that the clay should tell the potter how it is made. And yet that is exactly what happens in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds and in society around you. I don't mind to tell you, open your eyes, guys, that people go, no, I was born with the wrong body. I was born with the wrong mind. How can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me this way? It's ridiculous. He goes on to say this. He says, how terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to his mother, why did you make me this way? No, I knew a guy once and he was always saying, I wish I was never born. And he was such a hassle to his family that one day while he was in one of his rants saying, I wish I was never born, one of his brothers turned to him and said, right there with you on that one, buddy. And that stopped him. He never said it again. It's amazing when somebody supports you in that position, how you back away from it very, very quickly. Can you imagine if John was holding his baby up in the, up in the, the CUMH, the Cork University Maternity Hospital, and suddenly little Grace went, Why was I born? It's ridiculous. You have people who are as they are, and yet they say, Why am I like I am? Why have I been made this way? He goes on to say this, for this is what the Lord says, the Holy One, your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? Do we really have any position to be able to say to God, Lord, why am I like I am? Why have you done this to me? I've got news for you. If you say, if you keep on saying, Lord, why am I like this? Or why haven't I got more talent? Or why haven't I got more of a gifting? Or why aren't I better looking? I got bad news for you. You are not going to get any answer. Because the potter does not take orders from the clay. The clay does not tell the potter what should be done. The Lord goes on to say, I am the one who made the earth and created the people who live in it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens and all the stars are at my command. All the stars are at my command. You know, when you look at the scriptures over and over, there's a conclusion that we simply have to draw. 
And that is that man has continually sought to bring the attention to himself. And God has continually pushed back and said, no, it's not about you, it's about me. And every Christian who, will, who wants to walk with God and know the peace of God and know the blessing of God in their lives will at some stage have to take their eyes off themselves. You have to sometimes say, do you know what? It isn't really about me. And all these questions of what I'm like or where I came from and why was I made this way and why was I born into this stupid family? Some kid said to me recently, I wish I was born in America. And I said, what part of America would you like to be born? He said, I'd like to be born in Compton in downtown LA. <laughs> you said it, Nana. Mm-mm-mm. You don't want to be born in Compton in downtown LA. I said, why do you like that? He said, I like the culture. I like the music. I like the people there. They're pretty cool. I said, have you ever seen any documentaries about Compton and downtown LA? They're all shooting each other and taking crack and smoking this and that and the other thing. Trust me, it's much nicer to be born in Cork, the capital of the world. <laughs> you see, sometimes we don't even like where we're born. Why, was I, like, why wasn't I born somewhere else? Okay, but you see, the toss of the coin works both ways. Here we go. Let's toss the coin. You say, I wish I was born somewhere else. Okay, let's toss the coin. You could be born in the Bronx in New York, or you could be born in a little hut village in Guinea-Bissau in West Africa, one of the poorest nations in the world. Would you like that, Sonny? No. But that's how it goes. The scripture says in Acts, God decides the times and the places where men and women should live. Amen. We can't keep pushing back. And the Lord says, you know, you think it's all about you, but in actual fact, it's actually all about me. And you won't find peace until you take your eyes off yourself. I don't know, have you ever heard of a guy called Henry Nguyen? Anybody ever hear of a guy called Henry Nguyen? Okay, good. I'm on my own. I think, I think Josie Heffernan knows about Henry Nguyen because he told me, you need to start reading Henry Nguyen, Michael. He said that to me about 20 years ago. I still haven't read a full book, Josie, but I'm getting there, I promise. But Henry Nguyen was a Christian teacher, and he was a Christian, uh, he was a pastor, and he was a theologian and a writer. And he wrote an awful lot about the relationship between God and man, and he was a reflective guy. He was a, he was a really deeply reflective guy. And the curious thing about Henry Nguyen is this, and I'm not making any party political broadcast about Henry Nguyen, and before I put him up, I hope this doesn't turn you off. The thing about Henry Nguyen was, Henry Nguyen was a gay man. He was a gay man who wrestled all of his life with his desire for physical and emotional intimacy with another man. However, Henry Nguyen remained celibate. He never acted upon that desire. He managed within himself, he thought to himself that this wasn't natural to him and this is not the way that he wanted to live. Like I said, not party political, it's not amoral. I just want you to know that, that sometimes we can look at these guys who write these great things like C.S. Lewis or Henry Nguyen or any of these great guys, you go, oh, they had such a great life. No, every single one of them had struggles just like you have struggles. Their struggle might be different from your struggle, but they all had struggles. And it is in that struggle and in that trial that they learned things about God and learn things about human reality that some of us will never experience because we don't have the same trial. Am I making sense? Henry Nguyen wrote this and I thought it's really, there's some real insight in it. It's not the whole counsel of God, but there's some real insight in it. Henry Nguyen, he said this, he said, I've come to realize that our greatest trap in life is not success, popularity or power, but self-rejection. What? Yes. 
The greatest trap is not being rich and wealthy and strong. The greatest trap is not being successful at your business or being able to move beyond. It's about rejecting yourself. And he goes on to say, can I read on a little bit of what he says? Would you like to hear what he says? I've come, he says, he says, but self-rejection, he says, because success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation. But their seductive quality often comes from the way they're part of a much larger temptation to self-rejection. He goes on to say this. He says, when we've come to believe the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, he says, however, is self-rejection. As soon as someone accuses me, I love this line, lads, Listen with your hearts to this one. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. My dark side says I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved by God. Because being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our very existence. You see, when we say God loves you, ah yeah, I can get that in a photocopy or somewhere. But what if you just turn and said, you are loved by God. It's slightly different when you say Jesus loves you. It's kind of like that applies to everyone and it does apply to everyone. But when we say you are individually and personally Loved by God. You are, according to the Bible, what he calls his beloved. You matter to him. You are beautiful in his eyes. Now, I could be here all week putting in caveats of, well, that, and that doesn't include this and it doesn't include that. So please just go with what I'm saying here for a second. Because you are the beloved. And if we reject ourselves, we are rejecting what God has made. And that because of that, we can think that if I had more money or if I had more better looks or if I had a, a better house or if I was more popular, more successful or more skillful, then I would be better. No, you wouldn't. You cannot be better than what God has made. Would anyone say amen? amen. Paul unwraps it as well. He says, how could a human being molded out of clay say to the one who molded him, why in the world did you make me this way? You are denying the right of the potter to make out of the clay whatever he wants. Doesn't the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay an elegant vase or an ordinary pot? Now I think that most of us, in truth, do not really think that we're elegant vases, do we? Most of us don't think, you know, I think I would be perfect for a bunch of flowers. And if you do, we need to have a chat afterwards. And most of us don't really think like that, do we? We all kind of, I think by and large, think that we're kind of an ordinary pot. In actual fact, in one of the translations it says, something for common or ignoble use. Sometimes a chamber pot is what they're actually referring to. L let you figure out what a chamber pot is afterwards. Search it on Google, okay? That is what's actually intimated there. That a pot that's used for waste. And some of us, if that's the way God has made us, that's the way God has made us. But he's made us exactly in that way. And he's made us with that complete set of talents and skills and gifts that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to bring to the point of perfection. But nobody has all the talents. Nobody has all the skills. Nobody is that good. Would anyone say amen? amen. You see, I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said this. 
Oops, oh, there's my, there's my photograph. This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, when we want to be something other than the thing that God wants us to be, we must be wanting what will not make us happy. But I just want, if I could just have that, if I, could, if I just had that one thing, I could get. you're wanting what will not make you happy. Do you know what? Do you know, as, as a parent, and I haven't done it often enough, but as a parent, and any parent here knows that the magical freedom word in parenting is the word no. Now, it creates all sorts of fun, especially if you have people who believe that no is the wrong answer, which is kind of all the time, really. But the word no, as a parent, we think, you know, that's the one that sets them free and sets us free. Because you go, no, there's a boundary, you can't have that now, or you can have it later. But the word no never seems to go down very well, does it? And yet, amen, <laughs> amen, never goes down well. And yet we know it's the right word, yeah? And yet when God says no to us, how do we respond? Hmm. Let us close in prayer now. Because we don't like the word no either. You see, no matter how hard this goldfish tries to be a shark, he'll never be a shark. It's just not going to happen, is it? It's just never going to happen. No matter how he thinks, I want to be a shark, I want to be a shark, I want to be a shark. You're a goldfish. And that's it. You will always be a goldfish. You will always go, Bob, 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 Bob. You will never put the fear of God into human beings going, Ah, honey, it's a goldfish. No, never happen. But you know what? You'll be a pretty good goldfish. And you'll be kind of goldy. And you'll say Bob with remarkable regularity. Bob. But when we want to be other than what God wants us to be, we're wanting what will make us, will not make us happy. And you know what? We have this thing that we go through our lives. Not all of us, but some people do. I've met so many people. They go through their lives and what they really want is to be unhappy. They go, but I'm pursuing happiness. No, you're wanting to be unhappy. I, I, I will give an example. It's not a bad example. I don't like to speak ill of the dead. And I'm not speaking ill of anyone. If you take somebody as famous and as popular as Avicii. The guy had the world at his feet. He was doing gigs and getting half a million bucks a time for doing gigs. Dead. Because it paid, paid a price for that life that he chose. And it didn't make him happy. Because the guy was just not a happy guy. Anybody who knew him off stage knew that when he was on stage and he was full of the buzz and the, he said, wow, Avicii man, he's so cool. And all. I hope you know who I'm referring to, by the, by the way. And if you don't, just, just Google it later. And, uh, so you think, he's an amazing guy. But off stage, Avicii was miserable. He was not a happy camper. His life was not making him happy. And one of the reasons that we end up with this unhappiness, and I'm moving towards a bit of a finish here, one of the reasons we end up with this happiness is because we compare ourselves to other people all of the time, don't we? I know you probably don't, but I do sometimes. Just a very odd time. I see Ronaldo and he rips off his shirt and I go, turn off the television now. I never compare myself. We compare ourselves all the time. I like what um, one writer, this guy's name, uh, is after slipping clean out of my head. Uh, Oliver James is his name. He wrote a book called Affluenza. And in his book, Affluenza, Oliver James made this point. He said, since 1950, anxiety and depression have literally skyrocketed in Western societies. Just skyrocketed, went clean off the charts. 
And he's a, he's a psychologist and a journalist. And he, he wanted off and he went off and he investigated this. And he brought together his thinking in a book called Affluenza. But back in 1997, he was writing a piece in, in, a, in a magazine. I think it was Psychology Today. I'm not 100% sure about which exact magazine it was. But in the, in the piece that he wrote, he was making the point about how comparison is a curse. Now, I've talked before about the curse of comparison. I've said it before. Probably going to roll your eyes and go, oh, yeah, whatever you have in yourself. But comparison is a curse. But he said what's actually driving, in his opinion, this, the, the, the upturn and anxiety and depression and social uh, societal disorders is actually this continual contrast and this continual comparison that we're up against. We're looking at beautiful bodies and beautiful faces and beautiful homes and fantastic cars and photographs on Facebook of the happiest families in the world and the best husband in the world and all this kind of, you know, we're, we, yeah, I'm not the best husband in the world. Just want to take that there for a second I'm not the best husband in the world would my wife say amen (laughs) but you know we we are continually comparing ourselves to other people's happiness to other people's wealth and all of these things are metrics just simply of comparison and when we do that this is what he said thank you very much this is what he said so was my timer I'm saying thank you to my phone I'm going mad he said this he said we compare ourselves obsessively enviously and self-destructively. We are not happy with what we have. If you want to spoil something special, compare it to something else. You're having the perfect moment. We had the perfect dinner at home and I switched on Facebook. We, we said that we had a fabulous dinner at home and family dinner. And then, of course, I said, you know, open Facebook to say, I was going to give a couple of likes and check out a few. And there's the other family from up the street and they're sitting in some wealthy restaurant somewhere being served by the maitre d' and you're going... I was enjoying my chicken and salad until then. And suddenly the joy is taken out of it. And, here, and the thing about comparison is this. You see, we don't always just compare those that are better than us. We very often compare with those who are below us. And neither comparison gives us any happiness and neither comparison ever gives us any joy. Here's what Craig Groeschel, he's one of the leaders of one of the biggest churches in America, he, he, he said this about comparison. He said, comparing either makes you feel superior or inferior. And neither honors God. Neither one honors God. Whatever we do, whatever we compare ourselves to, neither one honors God. You are unique. Your experiences are unique. Here's what Paul writes. He writes this to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, he says, Each of you should carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions and they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. I like it. I I just love it. Within these couple of verses, he says, bear one another's burdens. Would anyone say amen? amen? I need a loan of 50 quid. Anybody want to bear that burden with me? Carry one another's burdens. And yet at the end, he says, each one should carry their own load. We've all got to work it out. Thank you, John. We've all got to work it out for ourselves. We've all got to carry our own load. Our own load of what God has called us to do. Our own load of called to be the person that God has called us to be. And no matter who you are, there is no point in comparing yourself to somebody whose experiences are different, their temperament is different, their personality is different, their life situation is different. There's just no point. So each one of us has our own shape. Rick Warren is a, again, he's a leader of a big church in California. 
Uh, fantastic guy, great writer, a real follower of Jesus, really good pastor, read and listened to an awful lot of his stuff, and he's really, really good, really very biblical. And he describes what he calls the shape. And he says, everybody needs to know their shape. No, when I talk about shape, I'm not talking about your shape when you look in the mirror, okay, just for the record. You're not going to go, well, I think I'm pear-shaped, or I think I'm a bit of an apple, or I could be round in the middle. I'm a bit of a banana. I don't know. You know that's not what I mean by shape. But he says your shape, he uses it as an acronym. And he says this, he says, every one of us needs to know our own shape. What's the shape? It's an acronym. Everyone needs to know what our spiritual gifts are. We're going to say amen. The Bible teaches us clearly, 1 Corinthians teaches us, that God has given everyone a spiritual gift. Now, we'll be unpacking this a little bit more in growth track from 2 to 3 p.m. today. Be there for coffee and a little bit more on this. I think you would enjoy it. So, everyone needs to know, first, what is our spiritual gifting? Now, it's just, it's just an acronym, so it's not perfect, but it does, it does gives us a sense of where we're going to. Everyone needs to know what their heart is. What's your passion? What's the thing that fires you up? What do you think you love to do? Like, I love, I love to play music and I love to sing. I just, I love it. I, I do it home. I do it in the shower. I do it in the car. I do it in the stage in church. I do it in the office upstairs. I do it everywhere. Everywhere I go, I'm always singing. I just love to sing. And it's just something that I love doing. And strange enough, I ended up doing it in the church. Praise the Lord. Um, so, you know, that's part of what my heart, I love that. I love worship. I also happen to like doing what I'm doing now, and I love people. I absolutely love people. I love connecting with people and greeting people and welcoming people and encouraging people. I love it. That's what's going on in my heart. Now, don't mind me for a second. Let's talk about you for a second. What's in your heart? Now, the thing is, you have to be careful not to follow your passion because there's no money in your passion. Unless you're really, 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 really good at it. What's your passion? I have a passion for putting the caps on bottles in a bottle factory. Amen. What's your heart? You know, every one of us, there's something in us in a way that we can contribute, a way that we can add to God's kingdom that's going on in our hearts. What is the shape of that? Or what is, what's in your heart? He goes on, he says, what are your abilities? Let's not get beyond ourselves. Let's not get beyond the point. What's your abilities? What are you able to do? I will never be able to perform brain surgery. Or if I do, you're going to be in a lot of trouble afterwards. I will never be able to do that. I don't have that ability. I don't have the ability. I remember when I was a kid, when I was a young kid, I never really kind of fitted in. I always felt a bit of an outsider because I could I couldn't do three things straight. I couldn't spit straight, because you had to be able to spit straight when you're a teenage boy. Sorry, you just gotta. I couldn't throw a stone straight. It was always going, Nyeek! and I couldn't kick a ball straight. I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have those abilities, which meant I went really to the bottom rung in society. I just didn't have those abilities. Now, a lot of the guys who had those abilities, they didn't come to much in the end, but there you go. But you need to know your own abilities. This is a bad example, maybe. You need to know your personality. What kind of a person are you? What kind of a person are you? There was somebody who once came to me and said, I really would like to join the worship. I said, what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to sing. I said, fantastic. I said, that's wonderful. We'd love to have you come and sing us. I said, can, can you sing well? He said, yeah, I'm a pretty good singer. I said, that's fantastic. Would you come and do an audition? And he said, what? I said, an audition. Will you come and do an audition for us? He says, you want me to sing in front of people? I said, you, 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 it was a few years ago, I said, you do realize there's 800 people in this church, don't you? Oh, I never thought about that, he said. <laughs> he was too shy to go up and sing on stage. He's like, where would you like to sing? Down the toilet or something? I don't know. And, uh, he just didn't have the personality for it. He just didn't have the ability to stand up in front of people. He didn't have that kind of temperament. Anyway, moving on. Finally, finally, what are your experiences? Every one of us has a unique set of experiences. 
Every one of us has a unique set of experiences and your experiences are forming you and they're shaping you and they're making you the person you are and there's a great message in that as well which we'll look at in a couple of weeks time what are you being shaped into what are you being made into we'll get there in a couple of weeks time but what is your shape you need to know this shape what are you like that will connect you to what God has made you for but here is the punchline so long as we think it's about us so long as we think it's even about our shape, so long as we think it's about our experiences or our abilities or our personality, we're still going to miss it. I started off by saying nothing compares to you. And the thing about that is that it's only when we are able to say to the Lord, Lord, nothing compares to you. That's when we're going to come to life. That's when we're going to know. Here's what the psalmist says, Lord, our Lord, no one can compare with you. Hallelujah. Such wonderful works and miracles are all found in you. And think of you think of us all the time with your countless expressions of love, far exceeding our expectations. Hallelujah. Until we take our eyes up and look to him and say, Lord, nothing compares to you. Will we ever know wholeness in our own lives? And some of you have come in here this morning and you've never said, Lord, nothing compares to you. Some of you have come in here this morning and you've never said, Lord, I opened the door of my heart and I want you to come in and make your residence in my life. I want to give you you my life some of you here have never done that and I can tell you this you'll only truly know yourself you'll only truly become the person God wants you to be when you in open that door of your heart open that door of your mind and welcome God into your life when you welcome Jesus into your life that is the start of the journey of change would anyone say amen that's the journey of discovery final verse I think this is what Paul says and he's talking maybe the worship band will come up we're going to get the band up here we're going to sing in a second and we're going to pray this is what Paul writes. Excuse me. <clears throat> He's writing to the Corinthian church. And he says to them, lads, we're nothing. We're nothing. We're just ordinary human beings. We're just doing the work that God has called us to do. Just like you, just like me, we're just ordinary human beings. In actual fact, the use of the term um, clay vessel is something that is used continually right throughout Scripture to describe what human beings are like, remembering that the first human being was made of the dirt of the earth, of the dust of the earth. The clay of the earth the first human being was made from. And that's what you're made of. That's what we are all made of. But Paul says it's not what we're made of on the outside that counts. It's what's going on inside us that counts. It's what's going on inside in our hearts and inside in our souls he says this he says we are like common jar clays clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within us so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's not ours not ours it's only when what's going on inside in us glorifies God that we truly and fully come to life it's only when what we want and what we do with our lives begins to take the shape that God wants it to take will we ever truly know the peace, the joy, the rest, the happiness that God wants us to have. And I do have news for you. God does want you to be happy, by the way. Can we stand and pray? We're going to sing just the opening verse of the song broken vessels John's going to lead us and then we'll pray all these pieces 
broken and scattered in his mercy gathered mended and whole empty handed but not forsaken I've been set free I've been set free amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. Oh, 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 I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh, I can see you now. can see the love in your eyes, laying yourself down, raising up the broken to life. Let's pray. I'd like us to pray this morning. Let's close our eyes just for a second. If you're here this morning and you're wondering why am I here and you've often questioned what on, what on earth am I in this world for? What is the plan here? Well, here is the plan. The plan is God has made you to know Him, to connect with Him, to relate with Him, to, as the Bible says, have fellowship with Him forever so that you can be formed by Him, so that He can give you His happiness, His wholeness, his rest if you have never before asked Jesus to come into your heart or ask God to give you this health this happiness this wholeness and this rest if you've never found that peace with God and you want to know that peace with God the way to do that is to open up your heart and say Lord I want you to come into my life I want you to take over I want you to be my shaper I want you to be the potter of my life and shape me as you would shape me if you've never prayed that prayer before, would you raise your hand? You want to say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I see your hands. We're going to pray for those five people now. Let's pray together for them. Lord Jesus Christ, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Would you repeat after me? I confess to you that I'm broken without you. I ask you to come into my life. Make me whole again. Shape me by your Holy Spirit. Make me the person you want me to be. Be my Lord and leader and friend. Now in all the days of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a round of applause for those who prayed that prayer for the first time this morning. Praise God. Make sure you come and see me afterwards if you pray that prayer for the first time. I want to say hi to you just to introduce and say hi. Now for the rest of us who are praying here this morning, I want us to pray. Let's close our eyes again for a second. I want to pray, you know, you know what you're like and you know how you have resisted the way that you are and the shape that you are and where you grew up and how you were formed and shaped and you've often struggled and said, Lord, why am I this way? 
Lord, would you give me the grace to accept me as you have made me? If that's your prayer this morning, would you raise your hand? Lord, give me the grace to accept me in the way that you have made me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If your prayer this morning is to say, Lord, would you help me and reveal my shape? See where I plug in. See where I fit into your grand and great plan. Will you raise your hand? We're going to pray as well. Let's raise our hands. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus Christ, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we bring ourselves before you this morning, Lord, and we realize that you are the potter and we are the clay. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we acknowledge this morning that your ways are higher than our ways. Would anyone say amen? We acknowledge, Lord, that you can do with us as you please, that this is about you and not about us. Would anyone say amen? Lord, I pray you would give us the grace to accept ourselves just the way that we are, Lord. And not to struggle or resist it, Lord. We bring our questions before you this morning. The questions that are in our heads and in our hearts saying, why was I born this way? Was there, why was I born in this way? Why was I born in this place? Why am I like this? Why don't I have more talents? We bring all of those to you, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, would you give us the grace to accept our beautiful selves and accept your title of beloved for us. Would anyone say amen? Lord, we are your beloved people. Every last one of us formed beautifully just the way you intended to make us. Give us the grace, Lord. Reveal to us our true shape, Lord. Our true purpose and reason for living and for life itself. In Jesus' name and God's people said. Let's all raise our hands with close in prayer this morning. Let's offer our week into the Lord's hands. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have a plan that is being worked out in our lives. Would anyone say amen? Lord, let us walk in that plan this week, Lord. Let us put one step ahead of the other into that plan this week. Let us realize and let us experience and encounter you working out the detail of our life this week, Lord. We bring before you our prayer requests, the things that are long outstanding in our hearts. We pray for answers to prayer this week. Would anyone say amen? We pray for breakthroughs in areas of our lives that we thought we would never break through this week. Would anyone say amen? We pray for relational and material, physical breakthroughs, Lord Jesus. We ask you, Lord, that you would go with us, be with us, and watch over us all of this coming week. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said aloud, amen. amen. Praise God. God bless you, brothers and sisters. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs for the next while. If you want to grab a tea or coffee, we're doing growth track from 2 to 3 p.m. in the cafe church. The guys are going to play us out. God bless you and go with you. We'll see you Tuesday night and Sunday morning. Amen.